Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. It's so beautiful to spend time together weekly. I've, I've kind of been on this the last couple of weeks, how this time that we set aside, this moment that we set aside once a week to worship, to fellowship, it's just different than what we experience in so many other aspects of our lives. Does it do your, good, your soul good to be here? Is it refreshing? Is it a reboot for you? Good, I hope so. You know, because we're very intentional about how we shape our weekly service, our weekly rhythm here at Emmaus. You've likely noticed that we definitely follow a pattern <laughs> in what we do. And that's on purpose. You know, we cannot deny that our lives have structure and they have rhythm. They take on routines and patterns. And in the same way, when we worship together, we strive for our rhythms and our patterns, the things that we do to be reflecting the people that we believe we are, the people that we aspire to be. We shape our worship to help guide us along that path in a healthy way. You know, so I don't know if you've noticed, but we, we do something here called the five-fold worship pattern. Did you know that? We have a five-fold worship pattern. Actually, it's six things, but two are kind of connected. So the first, we worship our living God through song, through prayer, and through the word. Second, we recognize our need for grace and forgiveness, healing, and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Third, we receive Christ's assurance of forgiveness. Fourth, we meditate on scripture and on the way of the kingdom. Fifth, we respond. We respond by taking on the Holy Spirit as we gather here at the Lord's table. And of course, this is our response each week. Uh, it's our prayer time. It's our moment at the altar in which we solidify the things that the Lord has been speaking into our hearts by receiving the body and blood of Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit into our lives. And even though I called it the fivefold, the sixth item that we do is uh, we receive God's commission to be salt and light and to go out into our communities. You know, this pattern, I'll admit, there, you know, as someone who kind of structures and guides and plans our services, it's tempting to change things up every once in a while. It's tempting to maybe swap something in order or maybe to introduce something or maybe take something away. Like, oh, we always do that. You know, but then I'm reminded, we're reminded of the reason why we do these things. We do these things so that we can be shaped and we can be formed in this moment. That we treat this moment as holistic. It's not just, you know, the preaching is like the main show and all the other, the openers and the closers, you can like leave for that. We try to treat the whole time, the whole space as sacred. 
as developing us. And as we spoke last week, of course, reminding ourselves of the Summer on the Mount, we talked about the wide and the narrow gates. Hopefully, our lives are taking on intentional rhythms, even outside of our Sunday gatherings, that lean into the call that Christ has been giving us to take these teachings that he provided on the Sermon on the Mount, to take this call to enter through the narrow gate, to be his ambassadors, his emissaries, going into the places where his love is needed the most. That by taking on this call, by taking on this call to action seriously, that it begins shaping the way we structure our lives. It begins shaping the rhythms that we have. Not just Sunday afternoons, but Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday evening and Thursday morning, that our lives begin to look and feel in a certain way because of Christ's call to us. I'm not necessarily talking about your organizational preferences. You know, for some of you, you have a highly structured, highly organized precision by which you tackle each day. But others of you may be a little bit more free-spirited in the way you approach your responsibilities. And that's okay. There's no right or wrong way that we kind of organize ourselves. But seemingly, there may be a right or a not-so-right way by which we structure our lives, the foundation upon which we're found. As we've been hearing from Christ, there potentially is a good foundation and a not so good foundation upon which we're anchored. Today we'll be investigating this idea, this idea of the foundation upon which we build our lives. As Jesus described in his final words here at the Sermon on the Mount, this is our last sermon from the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be looking at whether we are wisely entering into our lives based on the truths that we've been hearing over the last nine weeks. As we prepare to look at our scripture this morning, I invite you to join me in prayer. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love and strength to follow on the path you set before us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7, the final couple verses, 24 through 29. Feel free to turn there if you'd like. This Bible's in the seat pocket in front of you or... Uh, you can turn there on your phone. It'll be on the screens for you. Let's hear the word. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority and not as their teachers of the law. 
the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, anytime we read scripture, anytime we uh, attempt to preach from the word, it's crucial that we remember that our biblical authors, while inspired by the Holy Spirit, they had a very specific audience and a very specific message in mind with what they were saying. There's a cultural, a historical point to be made. When Jesus is saying these things about a rock and about a foundation, he's being intentional. Matthew is primarily writing his gospel to the Jews. He wants to lay out the, the, the argument that Jesus is truly the Messiah of God. That's why the book of Matthew, unlike the other gospels, starts with that super long genealogy, right? Because he's showing that Jesus can trace his line back through all of the Jewish kings and leaders. As you dig deeper and you look at Matthew's gospel, you notice some other things. You know, of course, we know that the Jews base their, their life, their worship on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Matthew's broken into five sections. The first book is kind of Jesus's genealogy, his birth. The second book is his teaching, his, what he says, what we've been hearing. This is the ending chapter of the second portion, the second of the five books. And the Jews would recognize what Matthew's doing here, especially when he says things like, when Jesus had finished saying these things, that's five times shows up in the book of Matthew. When Jesus had finished saying these things, when Jesus had finished doing these things, it marks a transition. For the Jews, Moses and the covenant which God had gave, given to him on Mount Sinai had been their religious and cultural foundation for centuries. The first five books of our modern Bible, the Torah, contain the instructions and the teaching necessary to live a life devoted to God as his chosen people. This covenant provided everything that people needed to be known by and to honor God. But now, Jesus is saying things like, you've heard it said before, but now I say to you, fill in the blank. He's done that a few times. This is really significant, especially to the Jews who were hearing this, because what they're hearing is someone proclaiming that they are extending the message. They are extending the covenant. You know, to, to Jews who were not willing to accept Jesus as Messiah, this was a death sentence. This was grounds to kill him. And of course, we see that happen. The Sermon on the Mount being the second of these five sections that Matthew has structured, it spells out a new way an expanded way for us to enter into God's covenant. A new way, an expanded way for us to structure our lives of devotion to him. Jesus has expanded and enhanced our understanding of God. Because we recognize that God doesn't change. God stays the same. And yet, you know, what we see in the Old Testament, sometimes we kind of wrestle with, and then Jesus comes and we see him behaving and acting in ways and 
we, we try to reconcile those two things. And I think, you know, rather than saying, well, God is kind of shifty, what that, rec- what that shows us is that we maybe didn't fully understand. You know, our, our friend Brian Zond has a, a great quote, a great way of saying this. He says it like this. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time that God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. Jesus has become our new covenant. But why the language of foundations? You know, of course, the example of the firm foundation is not just symbolic, it's logistical. The Jews would be making a connection because right now Jesus is speaking on this mount, right? About 100 miles away in Jerusalem, Herod and his men are renovating and reconstructing, expanding the Jewish temple found on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Like the connection is, would have been made by those hearing. When Jesus said, the house built on the rock, that is language that was used of the temple, the temple built on the rock. Not only the rock being God, but the rock symbolized by the mount that it was built on. The belief was that that location that the temple was built, that rock was holy, dedicated, sacred to the Lord. The temple and its foundations was a symbol for the Jewish people, a symbol that no matter what came, God was on their side and they would be sheltered. Now Jesus is saying things like, whoever hears my preaching, the things that I've just said to you over these last couple of chapters, whoever hears these things and, place, and puts them into practice is building a foundation, a rock upon which they will, be stand, they will find firm foundation. A new, holy, sacred, dedicated foundation for their lives. And just as Jesus becomes the rock upon which we, the people of God, are to be found, rather than just the temple mount, right? Later in his ministry, just a few chapters later in Matthew, he makes another statement about a rock. And if you guys remember that statement, the statement is said of another who expresses their faith in a very tangible way. And this symbolizes that this idea of being found on the rock of God, this idea of being found in the foundation of the Lord is not just for the Jews, it's for all of the earth, which is good news for us because I don't know how many of you can trace your lines back to Jewish uh, ancestry. Matthew chapter 16 has this little account. Jeremy, it'll be on the screens. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, 
For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter's confession of faith forms the rock upon which something very different will be built. The worldwide community that believes in Jesus and dedicates themselves to forming their lives based on his example. Not simply to boast, boost up the ego of a power-hungry God, that's not who we serve, but rather to unlock the key to life, a life of substance, a life of strength, of impact, and love, no matter the circumstances in which we live. That's what we desire for ourselves, right? To not just be pushed here and there, to be thrown about by the tempest, the storms, ups and downs. God desires that we have life and we experience it to the full. Doing what Jesus says or not doing what Jesus says, this makes all the difference between a house that stands firm in the storms or one that falls with a great crash. Doing what Jesus says or not doing what Jesus says makes all the difference in a house that stands firm in the storm or one that comes down with a crash. If we build our lives on Jesus' teaching, we will be part of the house that lasts forever. It's not enough to hear Jesus' words and appreciate them or just to hear what Jesus says and allow them to be the identity that forms us we must put Jesus' words into action. Only a life based upon the vision embodied in the Sermon on the Mount can stand firm when the storms of life have done their worst. Because we have many options upon which to base our foundation. There's many houses upon which we can find residency in. The house of self-sufficiency, of financial security, the house of greed, washes away when the rains of economic crisis come. The house of power collapses when the political climate changes. Even the house of pragmatic living, just being pretty simple and structured, slips off the foundation when life opens up a mystery like the birth of a child, the death of a loved one, deep suffering, welcoming a three-month-old puppy into your life. <laughs> you know, only those who strive to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness will build their life on, in a way that tempests cannot shake it. So how do we do this? Many of us are doing this. That's why we're here. That's why you're here. That's your desire, isn't it? What would be most appropriate for us to do this morning? How would we most appropriately respond? We acknowledge that, you know, like I said, we are on this journey. That's why you've been called here. That's why we gather. But how do we go deeper? You know, most often in our gatherings, you know, we set the stage for the work of God, the things that he's saying to us through scripture, and we allow the Holy Spirit to form that work in our lives in practical ways. 
You know, we simply ask the provocative questions and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Often through the work of the Holy Spirit, we acknowledge shortcomings, we experience healing, we experience forgiveness, or restoration needs to take place. And God does that during our time together. It's good. You know, but there's still other times in which we lean upon the collective wisdom of the church, the church universal, of our church mothers and fathers, and the methods and strategies for developing lives found upon the rock. We recognize that um, the life of faith that we live is a mystery and that each of us approach it in unique ways. That there's no single formula, there's no single solution, there's no single tool that's the right trick for everybody. But there are strategies and tools that help. And in closing today, I'd like us to look at one specific model that we can use, and it's called a rule of life. You received a booklet with your worship folder. Let's look at that. We're going to go through it. A rule of life is a historical model by which we schedule a set of practices, relational rhythms that help us create space to follow and to live for God in a busy world, to be like Jesus, to do what he did. You know, when we hear the word rule of life, it, it doesn't translate that great for us in a modern society. But if we look at the word that the rule of life came from in Latin, originally that word is translated as trellis or structure, thinking of the, vin, the, the vine and the vineyard in the same way that a vine needs a trellis upon which to be formed to lift it off the ground in order to allow it to bear fruit, we need a rule or a trellis upon which to found our lives so that we can abide in him the way Jesus envisioned. You know, we organize uh, what, the way we approach life. We recognize that peace comes when we are doing the things and the actions that we want to do, that we aspire to do. We even see, you know, in scripture, you know, why do I end up doing the things I don't want to do? And the things I do want to do, why do I not do those? You know, we struggle with this idea. A rule of life is simply a tool to that end, to help give us the structure that we need. Rather than a rigid, legalistic to-do list, it's life-giving structure for freedom and for growth. So let's kind of, we're going to page through this. I'm going to kind of describe what's on here. The, the intention is that you guys will take this home with you and pray about it and think about it and maybe use it, maybe not. Maybe this isn't for you, but I'd like to offer this to you. Have any of you used something similar to this before? Are you familiar to anything like this? Okay, Ellen, everyone else. Everyone else is uh, starting fresh. But that's great. The inside flap gives five simple steps. Like the, the really, the, the takeaway here is that a rule of life is meant to be a growing, living thing. If this becomes something that you find strength in, if this is something that you really resonate with, 
It's something that should be shifting and adjusting for you as you go throughout life. Every year, every season, you should adjust your rule of life, and that's a good thing. That's the takeaway. But the idea is that you consider the chart or this kind of way of structuring it. You kind of look at this and don't fill it out yet, but then you just let these seven categories that we're gonna be looking at kind of sit with you for a day or so. And then in prayer with the Lord, you might then start finding very specific, very timely, very uh, structured or organized ways in which you live into that. The seven life categories that this rule of life is found on, abiding, mind, body, relationships, rest, work and money, gospel, and hospitality. We'll look at those seven in just a moment. But there's then practices, core practices in which we put these things into play in our lives. You can see on this next page, those seven items there, those are typical practices. Things like silence and solitude, finding moments of intention time in our days in which we take a break from our normal hustle and bustle, our normal activities, our normal need to be somewhere. We intentionally build in time. That might be in your favorite chair. It might be on the patio. It might be getting out to the park once a week or getting up to the mountains once a weekend. Number two, scripture, reading, listening to, or studying the word of God. Number three, prayer, communicating with God in thought and word, having these woven into our daily existence. Of course, Paul says, I pray without ceasing, getting to that point in our lives where we're just constantly in communication with the Lord. Number four, fasting, willing abstinence from food or entertainment or anything else in your lives that creates space. Five, simplicity, structuring your life in a way that provides margin and contentment. Number six, community, relationships to journey with and to share life with and to work on your faith with. And finally, Sabbath, hours set aside for rest, recreation, and worship. As you can see on this chart, it's kind of broken up into three sections. We've got the seven categories across the top and then some timely rhythms here. So the first two help us to be with Jesus, to just set aside space. The middle column, the next three, help us to become more like Jesus in tangible ways. And finally, the last two columns help us to put this into practice in a wider way, help us to experience these things and to share these things into our communities. There may be daily rhythms that you look for in rest, daily rhythms that you look for in, your, in caring for your body, etc. Weekly, monthly, and quarterly. Let's skip past that little chart and let's look at each of these categories. Pretty self-explanatory and I won't read this. I trust that you can do this on your own, but abiding. These are practices that help us to create time to be with the Lord. Whether that's morning prayer, scripture, worship, moments in which we intentionally set aside the normal rhythms and normal routines to be with the Lord. Mind, the next one, the next category. This calls into account that the things that we ingest, 
not just physically or food, but the things that we commit our mind to shape us. Over time, they shape us. And so the idea is that we are intentional about the things that we spend our time doing, the things that we focus on our minds upon. We want to ensure that there's a balance, whether that's, again, reading scripture, listening to regular podcasts to edify us, lift us up, books that encourage us in the ways that we want to go, that we're careful and mindful about what we intentionally bring in, but also careful with the balance. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with movies or music, but are you in balance? The next, body. This recognizes that we're not just emotional beings, that we're physical beings, and that our body and mind balance matter. That a holistic spirituality that takes into account mind and body is critical, and that we have habits that keep our body in healthy order. You know, this could be as tangible as a sleep pattern. Are you consistent with a sleep pattern? It could have to do with diet. It could have to do with, do you limit the amount or do you drink the appropriate amount of water? Do you not drink the appropriate amount of other things? Annual doctor visits, vitamins, it says right there. Are you caring for your body? And of course, in a culture that is very body focused, this can be, you know, we need to walk with this in care and with the Holy Spirit because our, our culture is body focused. Body image is a big deal. Recognizing that our culture is also focused in, in negative ways upon the way we treat our sexuality in, at times as idolatry. You know, there's a lot to consider here, but the Holy Spirit can guide you. The next, relationships, how we focus on relationships. Of course, relationships with family, relationships with your church community, your marriage, uh, your friendships, perhaps a intentional weekly phone call with a trusted friend, with family who live far away. Simple examples like that. The next, rest. Rest is essentially, is essential in our spiritual formation. It's, the very, it's very hard or it's very tempting to uh, let this one go because our lives tend to fill up pretty quickly. But what practices and rhythms are you intentional about that give you rest? Quiet time in the morning, sleeping a certain amount of time each night weekly Sabbath, a nothing night, a time to get out and go to the lake with your friends or your family. Are you resting? And then the final two, this kind of moves us into the doing what Jesus did category. So the final two, work and money. Are you being intentional about the work that you do? There's no right or wrong kind of work in any work that God calls us to. He simply calls us to do it with all of our might and to do it with integrity and to do it in a way that honors those that we work for. Do we allow ourselves to be deep in our work or are we distracted? 
Do we find moments in which we can also be generous with our money? We've talked about kind of being generous with our time, but also being generous with our money in the way we give to organizations that are a help to the world around us, in the way that we are intentional with our spending, in the way we support our church through tithing. All of these things come together. And then finally on the back, the back gospel and hospitality. Are we giving of our time to others? It's tempting in our culture to allow all of our needs to be met through digital means. And we don't really need people because we get some of that stimulation happening in other ways. It can be hard to set up a night to get together with friends for dinner. You know, because frankly, we'd just kind of rather not. <laughs> some of that might be because of your temperament. Maybe you're just introverted and, you know, it's, it's hard for you. But all, other times, it, it, it just takes intentionality to give of our time to others. But are we committed to getting together with other people? And specifically, are we committed to shaping our lives in such a way that the people that we know, the people that we interact with, are not just people here in this room, not just people who already know the love of God, the, the Christ living in their hearts. Are we putting ourselves in contact with people who need the truth of the gospel? Well, as you take this with you, please understand my heart. My heart is not so that you can all fill out your rule of life and come in like and check it off. My heart is, this is something that's been very valuable to me in various ways throughout various seasons of my life. And as I was pursuing this idea of being firmly founded in the teaching of Christ, not just knowing it, but doing it, something like this is important for me because without intentionality, I tend to just get an autopilot. I tend to just set the cruise control and the day is gone before I know what happened. So I hope that this is useful to you. If you're in a life group, take this to your life group tonight. If you're in my life group, bring this with you tonight. We'll talk about this as we, as we spend time together. Well, in closing, let me, um, let me close this in prayer. Lord God, we recognize that you are like Jesus. Lord, you've always been like Jesus. Lord, that there's never been a time in which you were not like Jesus. But God, we confess that there have been times that we have not always known this. We have not always behaved this way. But Lord, through your example of Christ, through coming and living and teaching and exemplifying your life and sacrificing on the cross. Now we know what you are like. Lord, may that knowledge, may that knowledge be sweet and good to our hearts. Lord, in this moment of time in which we hear the call of Jesus, the call that anyone who hears these words of mine will put them into practice, 
would be like the wise man whose house is built upon the rock. Lord, may your Holy Spirit inspire us, open our minds, help us in ways that are tangible to live into that call. To not just hear and understand your words, but Lord, to put them into practice. We confess, Lord, that we need your help. That, Lord, uh, we are creatures who, you know, we approach our days sometimes just in survival. It's just a matter of, can I make it through my to-do list? And maybe stop and grab a bite to eat here and there. But Lord, may we find intentionality in our days that allows us to not just survive, but to thrive in what we've been called to do. Lord, for some of us, maybe that means we simplify. For some of us, maybe that means we become bold and we step out in one or two new ways. Lord, whatever it is, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us and be near to us and direct us. Amen.